The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, You see how it is written that the Christ would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that in his name repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to this. And now I am sending down to you what the Father has promised. Stay in the city then until you are clothed with the power from on high. Then he took them out as far as the outskirts of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now as he blessed them, he withdrew from them and was carried up to heaven. They worshipped him and then went back to Jerusalem full of joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Before we look at this mystery that we call the Ascension, I'd like to ask us a question, and I want you please to feel very brave, because I'm not going to ask you to justify you having your hand up. But if your hand's up, it's up, okay? And that's good for us to see. The question is this. When you look at... Actually, I hope you don't put your hand up, to be honest, to this first one. When you look at the church, and when you look at the world, Hands up if you see something that's utterly perfect in every way, shape, and form. It doesn't need a shift, even a millimeter. Anyone? Good. That means we're all awake. <laughs> we're all looking at reality here. Because, of course, it's an organic body of people that needs to be on the move, right? Regardless of what we hear in Hebrews just there. Okay, well, if that is the case, hands up if you think in your heart of hearts, as you put your finger on the pulse, that you might have some inkling as to those pregnant gaps that need to be filled, or those scars that really need to be healed, or whatever the case may be, or um, the gaze that the church needs to turn in this or that direction. Does anyone have an inkling at all, even a slight intuition, or feeling, or frustration? God bless those people. I know that I'm going to assume that there are hearts, hands raised in your hearts, if I can assume that, because it's natural, isn't it? Like, we look and we appraise, which is a good thing. It's not judgmental, uh, even though we all seem to have a very reverent respect for Holy Mother Church, we don't offend her. The fact is, we make up that person, and we're on the move. Well, if that is the case, and you have intuitions, inklings, frustrations, agitations, laments, if I could invite you to just hold those in front of you, because we're going to return to them. It's important that you have them. They are important to you, otherwise you wouldn't feel those things. But they're also mysteriously important to Christ, because, as we've just said, you're a member of his person. So something of your intuition is his intuition. Something of your pains and wanting is his and wanting, and that's a profound thing to think about, really. He stands as intercessor for no small reason. Anyway, hold those in your mind. Today we have the ascension, and as we said, in the narrative of salvation, if the ascension isn't there, something quite essential is missing. Uh, Jesus plainly says, if I don't ascend to the Father, I can't send you the Spirit. You should be happy that I'm going 
to the one who sent me. In the book of Ephesians, we could have heard one of two readings. We heard Hebrews. But in Ephesians, it says this. Listen to this. This is St. Paul again. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to what? Escape our vision? To leave this God-forsaken planet? No. It says here, in order to fill the whole universe. The resurrected Jesus appeared to his followers and he was very determined to show them, I have a body. I'm eating the meal you cooked. Touch my wounds. Uh, Don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended. Think of the bodiliness of the resurrected Jesus. And yet in the ascension, the church tells us something definitive happens that will not be undone. The body, that is to say something physical, something concrete, something you have, something that weathers uh, storms in this world, has entered the veil of heaven and it will not come down again. Jesus sort of suspends himself between heaven and earth. He becomes the ladder that we see Jacob seeing in his vision. The reading goes on. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and nurses and coaches and all sorts of stuff, plumbers, electricians, miners. All of this makes up the person. Why? So that his people can be equipped for works of service and so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, whatever exactly that means. If anyone's figured it out, please let me know. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a, it's a sort of mind-boggling image, isn't it? The mind sort of goes white when you think about it because Jesus is now present in a way that is more intimate than the disciples had. There's nowhere that he isn't. Uh, as Archbishop Mark Coleridge often says, the whole of creation is now drenched in the resurrected Lord. He's with us always, as he promised. And yet here we are sort of gazing, as the disciples were, gazing into the sky. I want to share a story of when I was in the seminary. I was, I mean, I think I've made an impression for being a bit of an exuberant kind of person, but I was even worse in my first year of the seminary. I went there in 2015, and um, now Bishop Tony Randazzo, Bishop Anthony Randazzo is the Bishop of Broken Bay. He was the rector at the time. We called him Mons Tony. And I got there, and I was trying to be involved in what I thought was good, you know. So I was sneaking out and going to the local Vinnies and trying to help out there, and I was, I don't know, chasing gigs every so often at night, and I'd barely scrape into my lectures, and I'd sort of sneak in halfway through common prayer and all this sorts of stuff. And a few months in, uh, Mons calls me over and he says, Ashwin, how are you going? I said, yeah, good, I'm loving it. It's so good to be here. I'm really enjoying the community, all of it. And he says, hmm, I'm waiting for you to arrive <laughs> because you are everywhere but here. And he went on to say, Ashwin, I know you want to be a missionary. I know you want to go out and do good. But the deeper you plunge into mission, Necessarily, the deeper you must plunge into contemplation. You must become a contemplative. You must 
be able to sit and pray and meditate and be still in the presence of the one you love and in the presence of the one who loves you. Because if you don't, your mission will run you ragged. You will just exhaust yourself and you will, you will be expired. And I thought, well, that's not a very good prophecy to fulfill. So I tried to cultivate something of a prayer life, something more anyway, and, and a prayer life in common. It was such a gift to be in a community of guys and the whole rhythm of their life was praying and studying and working and resting. It was a beautiful time for all of us. Anyway, St. Augustine says something similar about all of us and the two types of Christian life. And he looks at St. Peter and he looks at young John, the apostle. Uh, Both apostles, both evangelists, both very intimately caught up in the life and activity of Jesus, but their lives were different. Peter, we see rushing out zealously to put the, the word and life of Christ into action speaking with authority, writing epistles, all sorts of stuff, establishing churches. He was on the move. He was at work. Right alongside Peter, you've got John. And very curiously, remember that scene where Jesus turns back to front the the denials of Peter. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Then he says, come and follow me. Someone will put a belt on you and take you where you'd rather not go. John will stay behind. Isn't that curious? What's John staying back for? What exactly is he waiting for, looking for? gazing on. Augustine says that we are all called to be Peter and John, missionary actives and those who can sit and gaze, contemplatives at peace with the one who is peace himself. So lastly, we circle back to the ascension and our own concerns that we brought to mind. Think of them again, if you would. Hold them in your mind. We know that in the ascension, Jesus, as we said, he sort of suspends himself and he stands now as intercessor. That means the movements of your heart are movements in his heart. Whatever exactly you're praying, you can be sure that it's echoed in the voice of Christ himself. That's a wonderful thing to think about, isn't it? It means that no passing thought of yours is not it doesn't go to waste it it actually matters to someone other than yourself whether or not you've spoken it out loud i was trying to think of an image for what happens in the ascension it's almost like christ becomes a needle you know we hear that he he who ascends is he who descended so he comes down penetrates the veil of time and space enters into history penetrates even the The veil of the dead goes down and meets Adam and Eve, our first parents, clasps them by the hand and takes them up out of their rest. This needle goes down to the deepest depth we could even imagine, and deeper still. And then it makes a a U-turn. It goes back up again. Jesus is, in effect, trying to sew heaven and earth back together again, to bring it into harmony, to make it a kind of seamless garment. And he calls us really to participate in that. We all become like him, little needles, sowing words of peace and charity and healing and wisdom wherever exactly we are. It begs the question, you'd want to be a sharpened needle, wouldn't you? Because the more more dull my needle head is, the more I kind of mangle that garment. And that's okay, Christ can work with that. 
He works with all sorts of things. But if we're faithful, we sort of, as the hymn says, we come to own his sway. We come to become, I don't know, valuable members in this great cosmic mission. And the mission is yours, and the mission is mine, and the mission is all of ours in this single person Christ. So let's take all our concerns now and hold them, knowing, hoping, and believing that they do not go unheard, but in fact we bring them now to the altar, not this little humble altar in Gladstone, but the altar which is before God the Father in the eternal liturgy, the eternal sanctuary, uh, where all things are sort of brought to their fulfillment. Let's hold all of that in our minds now.